All right, welcome back to the Radicards podcast on Radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno, and we have Ryan Daly on the other end. And we're hey. Ta- <laughs> hey, Ryan, how's it going? <laughs> good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So we're going to be talking about, you know, uh, updates in baseball and the card market and just fill you in on some things. And so let's get right into it here. First things first, uh, today was a big day for the Angels. And uh, we got some good news from Otani. His health is, um, I guess, they're going to put him right into the batting position, the batting role. Um, and so that's mm-hmm. that's actually really good for uh, the hobby because I was actually concerned that it was going to be bad news. So this is really nice to hear. I'm glad that we're going to be seeing more of him this season. Uh, this is also going to be good for the hobby because people that are prospecting for him won't have to worry about their investments going into the toilet, essentially. So... Um, this will be a, a really good move for him. I'm hoping to see that he continues to stay, remain healthy throughout the season, and we see him perform. I don't know what this is going to look like for his pitching role, uh, but it's good to see that he'll at least be utilizing half of his talents. Absolutely, and it's it's a half of his talents that have really been impressive, um, at least through this first part of the season. Um, he wasn't really DHing a whole lot because they. They benched him the day before and the day after he pitched. So that really limited his time at the plate um, to show off his offensive prowess. But when he was in the game and he he was a, a game changer, he, he showed that he could hit even the elite level pitching in the MLB. So it's going to be fun to see him sort of mentally focus on just hitting for the rest of the year. Um, and to your point about his his arm health, I don't really think anybody knows uh, where the future is with that. He's going to continue to get stem cell uh, injections into his elbow. Um, and I, everybody's sort of crossing their fingers that there's not Tommy John surgery in the offseason. Um, because if that's the case, then we're probably not going to see him pitch until like 2020, um, which is a really daunting thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily for him, he's such a freak. He he throws right-handed and he bats left-handed. So mm. when he's batting, he can have his his non-throwing arm sort of out um, in the danger zone of getting hit by the ball where right. his throwing arm is sort of in the back, somewhat protected. Now, anything can happen when he's out there. He's sliding around. He's diving for balls. You know, anything can happen to that to that arm. So it is kind of a risk to, to have him out there. Um, but I think the ideal situation is that he continues to hit he continues to get the uh, therapy on his elbow, and um, the UCL tear eventually just sort of take takes care of itself, and he's back to the two-way player in 2019. Yeah, I you know we talked about this uh, previously that that because he pitches right and bats left, his dominant pitching arm is not his dominant hitting arm, which right. would, which it's would, great. Yeah, it is. It's well, it's it's coincidentally great. Actually, is 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 really what is. It's really fantastic that, that it works out that way, uh, so that he can still perform, um, uh, you know, with his, his in his in his other role, uh, despite mm-hmm. having having issues uh, on the other side of his body being utilized from his other role. So this is a really nice thing. And I was curious to know if this was going to be evaluated in this capacity because. I think it's really important to um, look at these things from a possibility standpoint. Like, okay, well, you know, if he hits this way, then 
you know, we may still be able to utilize his hitting ability. Now, I don't know, like you were saying, I don't know what this is going to look like for his pitching. I personally, if I were managing, I wouldn't let him pitch the rest of the season and let him take the off season just to, to like, you know, get whatever medical mm-hmm. attention he needs. That's, that might not be major, hopefully. And he can produce a, a sort of a procure a, a very successful uh, recovery. So right. anyway, at the end of the day, I think it's great that uh, he's back in the game, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of him, uh, uh, you know, in, in the future. Now, the next question that I have is, because he's a dual role talent, knowing the risks going in, will the Angels? I mean, should they be encouraging him to utilize both? roles like down the line like knowing that that there's a possibility of him pitching and missing a whole season see for me i would basically i mean that's that's a hard thing to think about but for me i feel like he should utilize the the hitting role as opposed to the pitching role because i feel like that's a less risk opportunity for him sure yeah it's it's kind of a an interesting notion to think about because his pitching numbers and his performances up until he got hurt weren't off the charts. Um, I think he was impressing people and that he was hitting and pitching. Um, but he was probably like a number three, number four starter level, um, as far as his pitching ability went. Um, he's got the freakish talent of being able to throw hundred miles an hour consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as just getting guys out and going deep into games, he wasn't amazing in that respect. However, now we know that he was dealing with this injury the entire time. Right. So who knows if he if he's able to just hit for the rest of the season, take the offseason, get healthy, and come back, he might be able to be an ace on the mound and at the plate, like people thought he might be. Um, so it's, it, I think it's exciting. It's an exciting future for Otani and for the Angels and for the, the game of baseball, and most importantly for the hobby. <laughs> yeah, truly. You know, speaking of the hobby, there has been very little hype surrounding, oh, yeah, it's surrounding the Superfractor. And you know what's – okay, so here's the thing. The Bowman Chrome Superfractor auto was pulled around the same time that the three other Superfractors from the 2018 Finest arm were pulled. So mm-hmm. – they're all pulled kind of at the same time. So it kind of takes, it dilutes the attention away kind of, yeah. you know, so you, you're kind of like, mm-hmm. wow, 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 wow. Okay. I get it. Like, you know, and so four different super fractors basically being thrown into the market around the same time. It's a lot. And, uh, you know, um, the market's caught on to producing, well, the manufacturing market anyway, is caught on produ- to producing, uh, super fractors, and variations of them, ones with the autograph and ones with the without the autograph, and so you've got more to put into the, the the hobby, more to put in the market for collectors, and so there's more opportunity, which means that the focus is taken away from any one superfractor, if even just for a little, like a, 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 even if small margin. I just think it's interesting that that uh, you know we have all these great cards coming out right around the time that he gets hurt. And just people don't care anymore for some reason. I think it's because it feels like because, you know, the season started and we're, we're, you know, so much percentage, nearly halfway into the season. And uh, so we are all already seeing performance and we're already seeing things happen. And then, 
you know, Otani gets hurt. So Super Fractor was actually pulled, in, I think, a bad time. You know, the Bowman yeah. Chrome Super Fractor. And we, we, we've established that in a previous episode. But uh, it's just interesting to see that that's just not something people are really talking about really right now. Yeah, it died off uh, really quickly. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this before in the hobby. I think this is a pretty extreme example. Um, I think another factor in this equation is that he plays for kind of a small market team. Um, he plays for a team that's not particularly doing well right now. Um, if he was this two-way phenom on the Red Sox or on the Dodgers or the Yankees, mm-hmm. I think maybe his hobby appeal would have um, maybe not have stayed at that peak level, but it would have leveled out to a, um, another level of popularity. Right. Um, as opposed to just sort of going completely quiet, as we're seeing right now. Um, I mean, if you look on eBay, there's still a, a lot of amazing pieces that have been pulled, low-numbered autographs. Oh, gosh, tons. So there's a lot of stuff up there, but, um, I mean, it's not moving as well as we saw back in, uh, you know, April, May. Those were the really peak times for him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's there's always going to be lots of different parallels from all the different releases and after a while um, sometimes i feel like the market gets kind of burned out on everything um but yeah i mean that's 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 just that's just the way the ball rolls in in this in this this particular niche market so anyway it's kind of good like it's going back to him glad to see he's back on you know in the game and he's we're going to see some more of him so we're hoping that he's able to uh, have a very successful remainder of the season so Good job. Awesome stuff. I'm glad we got to talk about that. Uh, moving on, uh, Ronald Kuna is uh, activated from DL. Yes, he is. Freak freak injury, really awful injury to watch live, but uh, turned out to be not as bad as it looked, and he spent some time on the 10-day disabled list, and he's back, so we'll see um, if he's 100% healthy. He's a young guy, so you know, he can bounce back right. and, uh, I assume he'll continue to, to help his team. Um, like we've so- talked about before, the Braves are having kind of a Cinderella story of a season. Um, I don't think people were quite expecting them to, to be in the place that they are. So hopefully Acuna can, can help them maintain that performance. And I haven't checked his card sales recently. I don't think I need to. I know they're probably so strong. Have you checked him out? I mean, his stuff still does well. Uh, he, yeah. I mean, his injury was, you know, quite a quite a bit less significant than Otani's injury, and in, in the, the in the sense of, you know, long term damage implications. So I, you know, seeing him come back, bounce back as quickly as he is, um, isn't surprising to me. And sure. I think there's a lot to be expected for the remainder of the season for Acuna. And I think his hobby strength is still very, you know, robust in that capacity. So I'm not really worried about him in that in that way at all. But I'm glad he's back and he's okay. I don't like seeing guys get hurt. You know, it's kind of a bummer because right. their 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 performance impacts the hobby. And when the hobby is vibrant, then you know we get to see really cool things being surfaced and sold and that's that's fun for me to watch for research so um i'm glad he's he's healthy and been back and we're going to see some more of him on the field uh for the re- remainder of the season so glad we got to talk about him too 
Yeah, just one thing. I just double-checked. Braves are still in first place. Um, Braves, Phillies in second place, and the Nationals in third place. It's a really interesting season because you would have thought it would be the other way around. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nationals on top and, you know, whoever else beneath the Nationals. Right. Um, So it's it's a fun NL East division to watch this year, and uh, Cunha is certainly a part of that. Truly, truly. Yeah, hopefully he can, you know, turn into the star all of us look forward to seeing it, yeah. uh, with him because Javi and the sport always need guys that, that can produce uh, exciting results on the field. So good stuff, man. Uh, you know, speaking of guys that were, you know, pretty exciting on the field, at least in, in the history of the, you and I from observing uh, baseball over the years, uh, Kendry Morales hits walk-off home run against his former team, the Anaheim Angels, in the 10th inning to give the Blue Jays a 7-6 win over the Angels, which I thought was, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of going back to his old stomping grounds, and he still uh, he makes it known that he's still very productive. And, you know, he's kind of been pushed under the wayside, I think, over the years. Like, not a lot of people collect Kendry Morales, I've noticed. It's just his his hobby strength is is minimal he just doesn't have the same following that some of these newer guys do or even some of the older classic guys um and so i see super fractors go unsold for 50 bucks you know new ones and so it's 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 a weird market for him right now but i remember in 2010 he was he was one of the guys to watch with the angels yeah he was um his numbers at the time were being compared to some of the all-time greatest players um and what happened to him when he hit that walk-off grand slam in 2010 uh still haunts i'm sure it haunts him and it haunts a lot of angels fans and and baseball fans because it was such a an extreme high and followed by an extreme low oh my god he was never he was never quite himself after that um it was just such a a gnarly injury and I think if my memory serves correctly, it took him like a year or so to to come back and be a hundred percent healthy and really get his swing back. Um, but yeah, 2010 and he was probably like the future of the franchise for the angels. He was a switch hitter. He was a power hitter, mm-hmm. you know, 35, 40 home runs. Uh, you know, I, I always thought that if he hadn't gotten hurt, we probably wouldn't have signed Albert Pujols because I think Morales would have been the first baseman. Um, well, so a couple so things. So I don't really know. It's Yeah. He missed the entire 2011 season because of that giant brawl at home base. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he actually had a 290 batting average, hit 11 home runs, you know, had 56 hits. His 2009 season was much more dominant, above sure. th- above 300 batting average, at 34 home runs, 173 hits. So he was on his way to becoming achieving greatness, which he I think fulfilled pretty decently in the 2012 and 2013 years. Um, but I think by then people had kind of like focused on, oh my gosh, Pujols is with the Angels, and it's still pretty impressive that Pujols has managed to. Um, uh, become still productive with the angels, even though he's, you know, I think closing out his career on a great note, uh, at least in, you know, next pretty soon he's, he's going to probably hang it up, but you know, looking at Kendry's numbers, he's still a great utility player. And I Mm -hmm. think that he doesn't get nearly the appreciation that, that, you know, he 
possibly once had thought he deserved. He was kind of becoming, developing into a real star in 2010. Uh, so that was, 2010 was a good year for him. And, you know, my knowledge of him was become was growing because I hadn't heard about him previously. So um, he's still, a, I think, a pretty decent hitter, you know. But his stuff just doesn't sell well on 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 online or really anywhere. At least that's that's been my understanding. Yeah, and I don't really see that changing. He's he's thirty five. Mm-hmm. Um, he's basically just a designated hitter now. He doesn't really play the field too much. Um, and if you're an older DH, unless you're producing at a high level, it's it's kind of hard to. Um, to find consistent work on a team. He's playing with Toronto right now, like we said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think he'll, he'll continue to find work for the next couple of years, but into his later thirties, I'll be surprised if he can continue the production he's, he's currently outputting. Um, I hope he does. I'm, I'm a fan. Um, I know you have some nice pieces of his cards. Um, I'd like to get some someday. I don't know when that day will be maybe in like, 20 years <laughs> when he's an oh, absolute geez. nobody. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think he's always going to be a, a household name in some circles. You know, he's, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's ever going to be a nobody. He's done, he's had a pretty successful career and he's still playing. I sometimes wonder if guys from Anaheim, like the Angels fans, ever got upset when he left to go play for other teams. That happens. We talked about that before. Is that, mm-hmm. you know, this, this like diehard mentality feels like it's been portrayed when their players leave because of contracts that expire and they go into free agency and they get picked up on a team because of, you know, the past to prime, whatever. This doesn't mean they're bad players. It doesn't mean we should disrespect them. We should still appreciate who they are, what they're doing, and, you know, be happy for their successes. I think Kendris Morales would be considered a star in 20 years. I still think his stuff is going to be available. Nice stuff. Nice pieces will still be around. There's just an abundance of, of things to uh, uh, choose from, from those mm-hmm. 26, 2006 to 2010 block. There's a lot. And he was on the Angels still in 2012. He didn't get traded until 2013 when he's played for the Seattle Mariners for you know a short minute. But anyway, um, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that he, he made such a, a, I guess, an important performance you know, at his, in, his old, in his old home. I thought that was cool. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, I'm sure he felt good about it. I'm sure he it feels good to to cross that home plate um, in that stadium. Mm. And you know, he won he won that game for his team. So totally. happy for him. Totally. So speaking of pitchers, <laughs> is that uh, Chris Sale dominated uh, the Mariners in seven innings. He allowed just four hits and struck out 13 batters. I mean, this guy, yeah. Chris Sale, is amazing, and his stuff is available at, as you know, you and I have been kind of talking about this off, off the record that um, yes. his stuff is available and they're nice pieces and they're affordable, you know, yes. and he's a six time. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to be 30 this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe next year. So he's, he's still relatively young. Um, he's been putting up crazy numbers for the past, uh, gosh, I don't know, since like 2013, 2012 um he's showing no signs of stopping he's playing on a team that is 
bound for the World Series uh, this year, anyways. Mm. And you know, if he can get a World Series or two under his belt, it's just going to be another case for his Hall of Fame worthiness. Um, and that's when, like you said, we were talking about his pieces off off the record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in ten or fifteen years, when Chris Sale is elected into the Hall of Fame. It's going to be nice to have been able to pick up some of his key rookie pieces, like in the fifty, sixty dollar range. Yeah, there's a lot to choose from from the uh, 2010 and forward block. See, for me, I I go for the for him. I'd I'd go the 2010 stuff. I just prefer those cards a little bit more. But I I do also like the stuff with the rookie card logo, the RC logo. I, I like those too. If I can't get the prospect stuff. I'll get the mm-hmm. rookie year stuff and a lot of really cool, excellent pieces out there. Just awesome prices. We recently saw a um, gold refractor from 2010 sell for just north of 60. Yes. And then we've seen auto rookie cards sell for around that, you know? And so it's been really cool to see um, what's available. And yeah, you know, if he keeps this up, those might be good to have in the collection. Absolutely. I mean, he struck out 308 guys last year. I know. That, it's, it's a really elite level. And whenever I watch him pitch, which I try to do as much as I can, um, the only comparison I can think of is Randy Johnson. Just just his his stature, his build, the way he, he's – they're both lefties. Mm-hmm. Um, they both sort of have the extreme like sidearm windup where the ball – um, comes down at such a weird angle towards the pitcher. I mean, if you're a left-handed hitter, I don't know how you even have a chance to get a read on the on the ball. Um, it is such a hard angle to to try and see what the spin is and, and where it's going to cross the plate and make up your mind in, in half a second about whether it's swing or not. Um, so he's, I think he's just sort of breaking into his dominance and he's going to be dominant for several years. I hope you're right, man. You know, he's, I, I, I noticed he, he had a drop off of, um, ex, uh, uh, fan loyalty when he moved from the white Sox to the red Sox. Yeah. I remember before he was on the red Sox guys, there was a lot of chatter online about his cards, like a lot. And he goes to the red Sox and then I hear nothing. It's birds chirping or it's crickets rather. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's so strange that that happens, but yeah, he's he's super dominant. I think a little bit under the radar right now, just a little bit because a lot of the focus is on some of the prospects. So it might now might be a good time to grab up something. I'd like to get something as too, but yes, I'm so picky that like I'm like eh, I'll just wait for an orange or something less, you know, like that's how I am. But you know, if a gold pops for the right price, I might I might tackle it. But who knows? Good stuff. He's uh he's he's one to watch. Certainly, good dude. Yeah. Moving on, the Rangers make Adrian Beltre, who's 39, available for trade. He can still hit and would be a great asset to any buyer. And mind you, he's a he's a 3,000 plus hitter. Uh, the the Phillies are reportedly interested in Beltre, which I think would be cool to see him in a Phillies outfit. He's you know he's at the end of his career, but it's really awesome to to see that there's still interest in this guy so far down the line with such an impressive tenure. Yes. Um... I've been watching him pretty much since he was a rookie, mm-hmm. and 
he's got Hall of Fame type numbers, especially if you know he hasn't really shown any sign of of uh, quitting anytime soon. So if he can tack on another couple of years of the numbers that he usually puts up, um, I think Hall of Fame for sure. Uh, I, I think the Phillies would be a great place to see him land because they have sort of a young team. And uh, I'm sure he could teach a lot of those guys. Um, you know, from all of his experience, he's played for so many different teams in so many different situations. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he has a World Series ring because he played for Texas when they were in the World Series, but they obviously didn't win the World Series. So it'd be great for him to go to a contender, which the Phillies aren't quite a contender right now. But um, I'm not sure which sort of first place team would need a, a player like Adrian Beltre and what it was, what it's going to take to get him. You know, he's he's probably one of the hottest guys in the trade market right now. And at 39, that's very impressive. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's this is his 21st year in professional baseball. I mean, really impressive stuff. And his numbers... Yeah, they're very, at least to me, in my opinion, very Hall of Fame worthy. Um, but that's just coming from a guy who's like cherishes the three thousand hit mark. I'm like, wow, three thousand hits, like really impressive stuff. Um, he's close to five hundred home runs too. Yeah, so. he's at, he's he's very close. Uh, if he can knock, you know, a few more dingers this year, like get like his twenty sixteen and seventeen numbers, get him up there. I think he'll be able to surpass that in the next year and a half, I'd say. So that would put him over the over the over the wall, I think, for that. So, yeah, he's great, man. I've seen his stuff on the on the auction block do really well. Some of his, obviously, his big two high end pieces from '97, the Bowman's Best Atomic Refractor and the International um, Refractor from Bowman Chrome. Both great cards to have. I've noticed the Atomic is somewhat more uh, available than the International Refractor. Uh, they are cards I collect. Those are sets that I've been casually building over the last eight years. I really love those sets a lot. Um, and I've just hmm. been putting off buying those two cards. And, you know, I should have bought them back in 2010 when nobody cared. But whatever. I didn't really pay too much attention because back then it was the Roy, Roy Halliday. Was, that was the big card. And before that, it was Lance Berkman in the Chrome uh, mm-hmm. set. And so um, those were the big ones. Carrie Wood was a big one. Travis Lee and back in 97, that was a big one. It was like a $350 card as an atomic refractor. Wow. Um, now it's obviously you know cheap, but um, it'd be great to add those cards. If anybody buys them, those are great cards to have in the collection. He's also in the uh, mirror image sub uh, insert set for Bowman's Best. He has the inverted as well. Those are great yes. cards to have. Great cards. Who's to have. his mirror image? Oh man, I want to say it was like Chipper, <laughs> I want to say it was like Chipper Jones. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Third yeah, baseman was on um, that. So you say they're available, but are they? Um, I mean, have you been tracking the prices at all? Are they going for reasonable prices? Are they kind of cheap or expensive? Depends on how you define reasonable. I think they're still affordable. Yeah, Chipper's <laughs> Chipper's the, uh, the 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 veteran on the card I mean, on his side. And then, right. obviously, on the flip side, it's two other guys. I think Russell Brannion and Matt Williams, you know. Um, but I I only see these things going up in value with time if we if he continues to perform. Uh, these inverteds are 
near impossible, but the craziest thing about these inverteds is they're often marked incorrectly because there's nowhere mm. on nowhere on them that says inverted, so you have to know how to identify the inverteds. Uh, right. But, yeah, to me, I think that the atomics are in, in still this somewhat reachable range, but I see this card going in the direction as the uh, 95 Bowman's Best Vlad Guerrero rookie refractor, which is completely untouchable now. And so I see it going in that direction. So I, I would like to get one before it does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's just, they're available online right now for what I think is pretty pretty good prices. Uh, sold listings for the um, the mirror image atomic are, you know, anywhere from, I guess, 60 to like, under 300 i mean it just depends on who's selling them they're, they're accepted offers and you know you can go and look these up for yourself but i've seen more of the atomic refractors listed than the bowman chrome international refractors those just seem to be a little bit harder to like a little bit rarer to to, to, to surface on, on online gotcha um, and and you know they have that classic green fading that's just normal with those early chrome cards and so a lot of some people are alarmed. If you're listening, don't be alarmed about that. It's pretty normal stuff. Uh, most of these atomic refractors, international refractors, they suffer from that, you know, aging feature. Uh, it's just part of that early chrome technology. So good stuff either way, though. And those are great cards to have. And you know, I'm I'm I I just love those sets. But Beltray's stuff does pretty well right now, and I think it's going to continue to uh, do well as he makes numbers and continues to have coverage of you know where he's going what he's doing and so uh i'm really happy for him and look forward to see, seeing uh what else we, he, he has in store for us definitely best of luck to beltray wherever he ends up yeah totally totally uh moving on trevor bauer as you know uh very dominant pitcher uh totally took care of the tigers giving at the indians a 4-1 win um, his record against the Tigers in 2018 so far, 1.23 ERA, struck out 40 and walked just five. That's mm. his record against the Tigers in 2018. Really amazing stuff. And Bauer is one of those guys who's dominant, but he's not talked about because I think a lot of the market right now is focusing on some of the new and up-and-coming guys. But I remember back right. in 2010 and 11, him coming out of UCLA and going in with the, I think it was the Diamondbacks, to me, I thought he was a dominant pitcher, and I I think that he hasn't lived up to the expectations that I think a lot of people put on him when he was coming up. You know, his, his ERA is not terribly impressive over the last well right. any year before this year so far is always above four, and so that's not desirable. But you know, he has he has good qualities about him as a pitcher, and you know, I. I don't see a lot of his stuff sell high online. It's it's available, a lot of nice pieces, but stuff just kind of just doesn't move. And I think a lot of that can be chalked up to people's super high bin prices. I know that that prevents sales uh, when bins are perceived market, not actual market. And that happens, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the time on eBay. People think because sure. they like it, it's worth what they think it's worth, but the market's like, sorry, it's not. You know, it's not a $400 card. It might be a $150 (laughs) card. So, you know, there's a lot of that happening online right now. But he's, you know, kind of under the radar. I think he's doing well this season. I hope to see him continue to perform at the rate he is presently. 
knowing where we are in the season. Right. I mean, he's playing for a great team. Um, but everything you said before is, is certainly something that's sort of holding him back from being a, a truly great pitcher, the high ERA. He tends to walk a lot of guys. Um, but he has a lot of strikeouts. And he can have these moments like he did against the Tigers where he just is completely lights out. And I, I think that the Indians are a potential World Series contender this year as they have been for the past two or three years. Um, so it'd be great to see him get a World Series championship onto his resume. Oh, yeah. Um, they were close in 2016 when they lost to the Cubs. And, I mean, Cleveland, I think, has the longest World Series drought in all of baseball, um, at least for teams that have won a World Series. So it'd be great for him and for his team to go uh, – win the championship this year. And I, the way he's pitching this year, it's looking like uh, um, he's certainly going to help him get there. Yeah. Well, in the movie Major League, Cleveland actually won the World Series. <laughs> okay. And so it's been a long time. One. We have to count that one, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> so it hasn't been that long. Um, it'd still be nice. But I, I, I agree with you. I remember back when his cards were um, – his rookie cards were – Big. Uh, so sought after and i i was hoping to pull some myself um and i think i only pulled um some low level trevor bauer stuff yeah um he, he was in that block of guys like um dylan bundy and archie bradley yep, and, and yeah garrett cole even back then was a big prospect because he too i believe came out of the ucla team um you know it, it's it's yes, yes he did it's interesting to see some of these of, of these four guys that I remember being super popular in those, that 2011 block, um, who's kind of made it carved out a name for themselves and who's kind of been shuffled a little bit. I think Archie Bradley gets like zero interest in the hobby. Like I say zero, I say that kind of like loosely because his stuff sells, but it doesn't sell for nearly what we thought it was going to sell. Yeah. Um, he's a relief pitcher, which relief pitchers aren't very alluring unless you're, you know, like one of the top closers in the game. Yeah. But he's like an eighth inning, seventh inning guy, so he's not really in the, uh, you know, he doesn't get credit for winning a lot of games. Right. Uh, he's a great relief pitcher. He's one of the best in in his specific role, but he's such a specialty player um, that it's hard to get any traction in the hobby. I don't think anybody, you know, PCs relief pitchers, at least that I know of. <laughs> um, and. Yeah, it's funny to see that the trajectory of Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole both coming out of UCLA around the same time, both being really hot pieces in in the hobby. Mm. Uh, and both of them were sort of floundering throughout the beginning of their career, and now they've really hit a stride. Um, Garrett Cole specifically in Houston, he's been incredible to watch. And Trevor Bauer just seems to be getting better and better. Um, and they're both you know, in their mid to late 20s, so... I'm hoping there's a lot more to come from these two. They're both 27. Uh, so they, there you go. They went so to that's, they went that's to college good... together, and and you know, this is weird. Back in 2012, I was going to UCLA baseball games at Jackie Robinson Stadium. I was watching them, and uh, great stadium, by the way. If you're ever out there in Westwood, and you want to make a trip to see a pretty fun game, check out the, the Jackie Robinson Stadium at UCLA. Really awesome stuff. Great little like nook, little where it's located. It's like kind of, 
you have to you know, go under this like tunnel to get into the parking lot. It's a really cool little place. But um, I used to go watch the baseball games, and I, they were already uh, professionals by the time I was, uh, you know, watching the game. So I missed watching them. But um, it's cool to see these guys come up at the same time. You know, they're both they're both 27 years old. They're both developing. Um, and it's good to kind of see where they're, where they're headed and they're still performing. You know, they might not be like hall of famers yet, but they're still performing at an elite level. I think anybody who's playing at the major leagues is performing at an elite level. That's just the way I see it. Um, Mm -hmm. I look forward to seeing what Trevor Bauer does for us in the future and, and seeing how he develops over time. So he's, he, to me is, to me, he's a star. Right. Good stuff, man. Uh, Moving on to very sort of almost off-topic stuff here, but uh, <laughs> gosh, how do I even start this? So the Erie Seawolves, they are a double-A affiliate for the Detroit Tigers. They had what was called Sugar Rush Night recently, and they brought us a unique set of dining items, if you will. Uh, they, <laughs> Some of us might find some of these things repulsive, others interesting i think all of us can appreciate them regardless because they're highly innovative and strangely unique they released a unique treat for uh, attending fans a hot dog served in a cotton candy bun with nerds sprinkled on top now i saw a picture of this thing in fact i blogged about it you can actually go to radicars.com and you can see an image of this thing it is a monstrosity yeah i would not i would not eat this thing now there is that like well a hot dog tastes kind of like bacon they put bacon around like maple syrup it tastes good i'm like yeah but that's bacon and maple syrup this is a hot dog and cotton candy it's a little yeah. bit different yeah so, there's the whole like salty and sweet thing which is a great sort of palate combination right but this is just taking it to an extreme um <clears throat> yeah i saw that that picture and it's <laughs> it's sort of a, a trend i've noticed minor league stadiums and major league stadiums are all sort of trying to like outduke each other and offer these insane food items um, it's, I think it's just all marketing and, uh, a lot of fluff. I'm more of a traditional beer and a hot dog guy, but, uh, it's available too, to each their own. If you want to, yes, if you want to eat a, a hot dog with cotton candy, um, it's your right. So go ahead, but I will, I'll pass. <laughs> I, I actually really like the menu items at ballparks. I've always liked them. I always think they're so cool. Anything from peanuts to hot dogs to this kind of whatever, and so I think it's just kind of fun. Just it makes you know it's you go to a baseball game for an experience. It's like a right. You go for entertainment, just like you go to the theme park. It's like the same sort of concept. So you're gonna get, you know high price points, interesting food. A lot of it's generic, but it's fun. You know you get to eat nachos out of a mini baseball helmet, like just fun stuff, right? And you're always hungry afterwards because there's never enough food. But you paid nine dollars for this like snack essentially. Uh, I always like these right. things though. I think it's kind of fun. Uh, that night, they also released a um, uh, scoop, a pretty hefty scoop of ice cream uh, covered in sprinkles and then wrapped in cotton candy. Now, that is, <laughs> I think, more in alignment with like, you know, sure. like sugary on top of sugary on top of sugary. Yeah. <laughs> and instead of like sugary on top of like a hot dog, which is essentially pig. And then wrapped in sugar. It just it just seems a little bit more in alignment with the you know my palate. 
but I, I think I would just watch and enjoy, not so much order. I think it's just kind of fun to see these things. It got a lot of attention on, on Twitter. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I'm sure that was one of their goals was just to sort of get attention and, and get the uh, the Seawolves name out there. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm wondering if they're going to like continue to serve it or, I mean, it seems like kind of a pain from a, a worker standpoint to, to prepare those things. So I wonder if that's going to be like a special night uh, or I guess if they're going to continue with a special night or if they're just going to do it maybe just once this season. Um, I wonder how their sales were. <laughs> Gosh, you know, I, I, I look at these things as like, well, they're skews, right? Like this is one of many of things they sell. If it, people are buying it, you know, you keep producing it. That's always keep the case. It. You keep accommodating the market need. That's yeah, that's like business 101, first day. Never been in a business class. You go in there, you know. So um, the I, I, I think these are very good items to have available if they're selling. But if people are like kind of grossed out by it and it's like a novelty thing, you know, maybe bring it on like when it's just one of these special nights that they have. I don't know. I, I, that's just kind of an interesting thought, but interesting stuff. I thought that was cool to talk about because uh, <laughs> the picture is amazing. I, I just I still get a kick out of it when I think about it. It's a very creative way to, to produce an item, you know, to make it more fun for the the attending fans. Anything to like add an additional like spike of interest and make it more enjoyable. I think that's really cool and I can really appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. So uh, let's move on to some interesting topic that a friend of mine were sitting down uh, having dinner one night. We were talking about this, you know, card doctoring, you know, how mm -hmm. ethics are defined and challenged within this kind of like weird, like how do you define card doctoring? See, to me, anything that when you're trying to produce a condition of a card to make it in your favor, like before I submit it, you know, I'm going to X, Y, and Z so I can get a better grade. Like that's the card doctoring piece, right? Like um, in my research, I've, I've learned that there are some people who have um, uh, smudged out wrinkles on cards using spoons. They like like smooth out the wrinkles and they send them in and they might get a better grade because the wrinkle's not there anymore. Or they've, they've, they've uh, taken slightly frayed edges and they've, they've razor bladed them to sharp to where it's not a noticeable difference in size. You know, I've, I've read stories about that. Um, all these things to me are unethical. You know, doing some research on it, what has been done um, in this category. And then, you know, I was talking to my, my buddy about this and when I got to this, you know, if, if I get a vintage card and it's got a creased corner, like it's a folded corner, a little tiny fold, and I fold it back to put it back in the sleeve so it lays flat, does that qualify as card doctoring? See, he and I agreed it, it's not. It does not qualify because you're just taking a fold and then pushing it back to where it was before it was folded. Right. And that to me is not card doctoring because you're not actually impacting the card in any way. You're not changing the actual condition of the card in any way. It still has a folded corner. You're just folding it back to where it was before it was folded upside down. Right. You know? I'm not changing the crease on the corner in any way. And I'm not retouching up anything and I'm not razor blading edges or anything like that. I'm just taking a fold and pushing it back to the initial, this it's, it's original location. So that was an interesting conversation. We both agreed that that's not in fact card doctrine. Card doctrine is when you try to manipulate the condition of the card in some way, 
uh, to produce a, a more favorable result as a return, that's when it becomes kind of dicey. Um, so I don't know if you're even familiar with this, Ryan. Have you heard about this? I, I'm vaguely familiar with it. Um, I'm I'm aligning with with what you're saying about you know folding corners and um, doing these super minor things just to sort of fit it in a penny sleeve. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fine with me. But when you start getting like external tools involved, if you're trying to flatten it out with something or if you're trying to trim uh, a weird corner, um, that's where it gets kind of fishy for me. Totally. And that's I think where the like ethics come involved. Like. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you right. don't want to see it in your collecting collection, or are you doing because you want to have it slabbed and you want to get a better grade? So for me, I don't. When I when I buy vintage and it's hammered, sometimes I buy it deliberately. You know, there might be like a, a fold in, in a corner that's really it's been like that for a long, long time. But I, I want to get that fold back to its original location and see if I can put it back in a put it in a penny sleeve, and then um, see if over time that will flatten back out to its original state but i have no intention of grading and selling it's just for my own collection for like an eye appeal thing like i don't want to see a folded corner i want to see or like a a divot in an edge try to like put pull the pull the edge back out so it's not you know it's not dented inward just to make it flat again so that it, it can fit in my collection i can enjoy looking at it um so it's an interesting conversation to have because um, I've seen some really interesting situations over the years of, of like I saw a Derek Jeter card once that was slabbed and came back an eight same serial, serial number was like 43 to 50 or whatever it was like a, a specific serial number and then a later thread showed that same exact card submitted again and it was a PSA 10 now Whoa. I, yeah I, I don't I don't know if the 10 was the slab before it was an eight or if the eight was first and then it was re-slabbed and it came back at 10. I don't know the order of operations here. Okay. All I know is that that's very fishy to me. Yeah. And, and, and I would be very weary about that kind of thing. See, I've been in conversations with dealers over the years. I, I bumped into one dealer some years back that I was talking to him about uh, Jerry Rice rookie cards. I was looking for an eight. I'd like to get an eight. Um, so I was in the market for one at the time and he had four and they were all eights and they're all, you know, off centered. I didn't really like any of them. I didn't buy any of them, but, um, he was like, he, he, he had mentioned something that made me feel like he had doctored that card or one of those cards or all four of them to get hmm. the eights because he had, he was like, yeah, you know, um, he had made something in some passing remark about, um, altering a card's condition to return a higher grade. And I was like, well, why would you bring this up into conversations <laughs> with a customer? This is automatically <laughs> going to make him think that, you know, this card right. has been doctored. Like, what the heck, man? You know, and so it's it's like, I always think like be honest and ethical, but I'm like that kind of guy. Honest, Honesty and ethics, those are important to me. But, you know, when you're in it to make a buck, some people... You know, some markets might attract a certain type of person, mm-hmm. and so um, if you can find that 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 opening to make a dollar, un unethically, dishonestly, not honorably, um, some people not I don't think the majority. I think most people are by and large ethical and 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 good. 
but there's always going to be that small percentage of guys that are going to try to rook the market to try in their favor to try to rip people off. And so I know that happens. And the sports collecting and sports memorabilia market is, I think, vibrant with these kinds of people. Yes. Uh, mm, yeah. You have to be very. You have to be very careful about what you what you buy and and, and you know condition sensitive type stuff. Just don't be afraid to do your research. Ask the right questions. Uh, bring a magnifying glass. Bring a loop. Start paying attention to. To, to the card surface and you know look for things you know that's that's the kind of like arm yourself with with the knowledge on how to prevent buying a doctored card you know uh, be very careful about that especially with significant cards right nobody's going to doctor a 96 tops common but they might doctor mm-hmm. like a 52 or 53 or, or some kind of vintage card that's of some star and so you got to be careful with that stuff if it's too good to be true you know you might start to question it's authenticity in some capacity just to like arm yourself um, to make a good purchasing decision. So interesting stuff. I just want to touch on that. Ryan, you have any thoughts on that? No, I guess I, I'd mirror what you said. It's, it's unfortunate uh, how much kind of shady business um, the hobby attracts. So everything you said, spot on. If, if you're looking to, to purchase something that's that's condition sensitive, whether it's vintage or a card that has a weird cut in it, um, or just a piece of memorabilia that's known for being uh, forged or, or messed with in any way, mm-hmm. just make sure to you do your research. Research, and uh, if the seller gives you any sort of indication um, that something is is fishy, don't be afraid to to walk away. Uh, yeah, you know, this is, this is kind of an interesting topic, kind of a touchy one, I think for a lot of people it could be, and it could be, could be, uh, perceived as such, but I think it's something to good, good to think about to educate yourself so that you can prevent accidentally buying something that has been in fact doctored in some way. So just be careful, do your homework. Don't be afraid to ask questions and also don't be afraid to walk away as Ryan was saying. So mm-hmm. good stuff, man. Uh, let's close it out with some birthdays. Uh, you know, we talked about Kendry's Morales, Kendry's Morales. He's 35 as of 620. Uh, still very young, and I think I I feel like he's got still got some 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 production value left in him. Yeah, I hope he does. I think he'll stick around at least for another couple of years. Um, in the American League, those DH spots are always um, kind of shifting around, and um, I think it tends to be hard to find guys that are consistently fulfilling that dh role on a Mm -hmm. team Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know as the older he gets he'll probably get a little cheaper on the market so i think he'll find some work into his later 30s i hope he does he's fun to watch uh so happy birthday yeah 623 we talked about tim anderson uh in an earlier podcast he turned 25 uh in this month so happy birthday he's still very young and still very new and so hopefully we look forward to seeing some more of his production value in the future as well, this year included. Mm-hmm. I know that you had brought up him previously. Have you been keeping up on him at all? Have you been yeah, looking into him? Yeah, we did talk about him um, probably three or four podcasts ago. He was mm-hmm. sort of a breakout um, star on the White Sox. Uh, I think his, his production has sort of petered out a little bit, but he still has a starting job. Um, he shares the middle infields. Um with uh Moncada mm. um, which is sort of an exciting duo in in White Sox Nation and happy birthday Tim 
uh, I hope that you can finish the season strong and, and continue to get that starting job at second base for the White Sox. Yeah, you know, his stuff still does well. His 2013 Bowman Chrome stuff still sells pretty well, and I think it's still relatively cheap. I say cheap because it's like just 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 above the $300 mark. Yeah, happy birthday to him. He's 25. On 626, Derek Jeter turned 44. Man, he has accomplished so much, and he's only 44, this guy. I looked, I was his age, and I was like, man, blown away by it, how much he's done in his life at, at up, up to now, and he's only 44. Absolutely. Huge baseball career, legendary baseball career, totally. on a legendary dynastic team. And now he's a partial owner of of a team that's sort of gotten some flack this year. But, um, right. you know, we'll see where that goes. Uh, he's he's certainly gotten a lot of negative press, especially in the offseason. Well, I mean, were, what do you do when you, like, dump all your best guys? Yeah, exactly. Like, so I. Heck? I know that he's he's surrounded himself with with some smart baseball minds, and he's not the only person calling the shots in Miami. So I think it's kind of naive to put all the blame on him. But he's the celebrity; he's the face of the franchise right now, essentially, mm-hmm. since they don't have a player that's the face of the franchise. You know, if Derek Teeter's in the building, you're going to point the finger at him. Um, yeah, they do have so, they, they they do have a face of the franchise. It's not Derek Jeter. He just doesn't play for the Marlins anymore. Yeah, <laughs> he plays up the coast a little bit. <laughs> right. His 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 record. I mean, his twenty year career is outstanding, and so I look forward to his um, Hall of Fame induction. But I think he's still learning as a manager. I, I mean, I don't know what his day to day operations look like. I, I don't know how involved he was in the sale. I, I don't know what the like. I'm not part of that, so I, I don't know how responsible he is for the loss of his better players. You know, so I, I don't know what that looks like, but he at thir- at 44, you know, looking at his life, he's he's just accomplished so much in, in baseball, and he's one of the he's one of the better shortstops we've ever had in the game, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, so happy birthday to Derek Jeter, 44. Jim Edmonds on 6:27 turned 48. Now he was a great outfielder. Oh yeah, love Jim Edmonds. I still remember the day when um. My dad picked me up from school and told me that he got traded from the Angels to the Cardinals. And it was, like, <laughs> devastating. <laughs> yeah. It's a long time ago. Um, yeah, a long time ago. Um, but he had a great career for uh, Anaheim and for St. Louis. Mm-hmm. I know that he's beloved by, by both fan bases. Um, so, 48, happy birthday, dude. Um I would love to. I always thought that he would be in some sort of managerial role, role because he was such a um, a liked personality by fans and by his teammates. Um, right. So I don't really know what he's up to now in his 48th year, but uh, I'd love to see him back on the field in some some respect. I didn't know this, but he was born in Fullerton, California. Yeah, man, he's a local dude. I didn't know that. And he actually went to high school at Diamond Bar. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> you know, I used to live like, you know, Fullerton, you you remember. And, and so that I know that whole area. I really like that area a lot. I guess he's like, it's a household name in that area. I know, you know, some people talk like, is he Hall of Fame worthy? But I'm not, I'm not really sure if I can really make that argument for him as a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he, uh, he doesn't have the classic Hall of Fame benchmarks from an offensive player like the 3,000 hits and the 500 right. home runs like we were talking about with Adrian Beltre. Right. Um, 
So he, his name has been on the ballot. I don't recall what share of the votes he received. Um, in my mind, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, in my personal Hall of Fame, he's certainly right. in there. Right. <laughs> but in the Cooperstown version of the Hall of Fame, um, not so much for, mm. for Jimmy. But happy birthday anyways. <laughs> truly, truly. Happy birthday. Happy uh, 48th to Jim Edmonds. On 628, which is today, Mark Grace turned 54. Mark Grace. Woo! <laughs> You know, I remember back in the late 80s, he was, you know, pretty new rookie and he, I'd file his cards. I didn't file them like I filed Griffey or like Roberto Alomar or Will Clark, Bo Jackson, some of the other guys I was collecting back then. But, um, you know, he had a little section in my in my binders when I was younger and mm -hmm. uh, he, he went mm -hmm. on to have a, a produ productive utility career but he he was a good hitter he he hit and he was hit for average and hit for power and so right. he he actually he had above a 300 um career which i thought was strong not a hall of famer but definitely a respectable utility player yeah and obviously people remember him playing for the chicago cubs he's like a chicago cubs legend mm -hmm. um through the late 80s and 90s but I remember him specifically in 2001 when he was on the Diamondbacks where yeah. he ended his career yeah. and they won the World Series. And the Diamondbacks were kind of a weird uh, Frankenstein of a team with kind of veterans and totally. weird rookies that no one's heard of and uh, odd utility guys have been bouncing around for years. Um, and so he was like a great kind of centerpiece of that team. Um to go out and win a World Series for such a young franchise. I think 2001 was maybe their third year as a franchise. Um, it was such an epic World Series against the Yankees. Um, so I'll always remember Mark Grace uh, for that. It's a happy birthday, 54. Yeah, you know, you're, it's so funny you brought up this. That, that, that I remember the Diamondbacks roster in 2001, and it was gnarly. They had all yes. kinds of guys that were like, like veteran, 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 veteran. So many good guys, though, were on that team. Kurt Schilling was on that team. Uh, Jay Bell. Randy was, Johnson. Matt Williams. Yeah. You know, Steve Finley, Luis Gonzalez. I mean, these were guys yeah. that were, they had very popular careers. And, you know, Randy Johnson was, I think, a big piece of that as well. And, you know, he's, everybody knows his story, super dominant pitcher. Um, but, Gosh, it's interesting to see how they were trying to produce uh, a team kind of just in like a Frankenstein way, really. There were a lot of names that were just total households. So it was just a very interesting team back in 2001. Um, so, yeah, happy birthday to Mark Grace. Uh, happy 54th. So good stuff, man. Thank you for tuning in. Ryan, do you have anything left to say? Oh, um. I guess go go Shohei. I think the world's going to be watching when you step into the batter's box. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I, I hope that he's able to uh, see more production this, this season, and I look forward to seeing him again. So thank you for tuning into the Rowdy Cards podcast on RowdyCards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Greeno, and until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting.